Hey everybody and welcome to the show. I am sitting down in Buffalo, New York. It is freezing outside, quite literally. I think it's like 27 degrees right now. And we are, the Enrollify team is up here at Mongoose's HQ. Mongoose is an Enrollify partner and we are actually recording and producing an e-course on conversational marketing over the next couple of days. And while we are waiting to film, I thought this would be a great opportunity to introduce you to Enrollify's new Chief Edutainment Officer. Say that with me three times. It's it's a mouthful. Chief Edutainment Officer. And that Chief Edutainment Officer is none other than Shane Keel. Welcome to the show, Shane. Thank you. Yeah, happy to be here and very excited to be joining the Enrollify team. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Shane is going to talk to us a little bit about who he is, where he comes from, what he does. Um, maybe depending on how the conversation goes, he might even crack a couple jokes because he <laughs> thinks he's funny. Um, and what we're really excited about here at Enrollify is we're expanding into all sorts of new content types. So in 2022, we're really prioritizing video. So while we love our pod and uh, the number of shows that we'll continue to uh, produce as a part of our network is, uh, you know, will continue to increase. We're also sort of transitioning to more video content because, well, yes, you guessed it. People like watching video and some people, especially younger folks, like watching video even more than they like listening to audio. So we are excited to invest heavily in our uh, production of new video resources. So this will come out in the form of e-courses, sneak peek, you know, little sort of behind the scenes uh, secret, top secret info is that we're actually producing a masterclass as well. More details on that coming soon. So we're going to have lots of visual content that you'll be able to consume in conjunction with your audio content. So stay tuned for all of that. But what I wanted to do today is introduce you all to Shane. He's gonna, you're gonna see him a lot more. Um, you're gonna, hopefully you're following him on LinkedIn and Twitter. And if you aren't already, we will include his uh, handles below because he's a fun follow. And really, you know, Shane comes from this interesting world of working in uh, media, also working in higher ed marketing and consulting. He spent the past, I don't know, six, seven, eight years almost uh, working as um, a marketing consultant at a DD agency, which is an Enrollify partner. So yeah, Shane, talk to us a little bit about who you are, you know, what you do for fun and any sort of, you know, I don't know, read off your resume to us if you want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think for me, it all kind of started in high school. Um, I was big into sports and I played hockey in Northern Virginia, which is not super popular. Um, and so I was always looking for ways to get classmates to games, started making Facebook events, um, posting about it. I even would print out, this is I feel like I'm not even that old, but it shows <laughs> how old yourself. I am. Yeah, I would print out Google Maps instructions to the rink and nice. hand them out in school so that that would hopefully uh, assist people in coming in. So I don't know. That was the beginning of my marketing days, I guess. And then that kind of expanded as I went into college and did a lot more, um, tried to do some cool photo and video stuff to promote our games since we were much closer to campus. Um, and then right out of college, went to um, work for network hockey and did a lot of kind of multimedia production, um, both on the social posting side on the video production, some editing, um, really, you know, breaking down film and looking at, um, you know, specific players and trying to highlight those things and then using that same content and repurposing it to try and attract new people to come to the camp. Um, and so from there, you know, I kind of rolled into more of a stable marketing job that was more of like a, a fling. Um, Started working at DD Agency 
um, and then kind of just fell in love with higher ed marketing in general, consulting and being able to do all the things um, I hadn't experienced, you know, doing email, social, digital ads, video, um, blogging, ebook, you know, combining everything, event promotions. Um, and so really starting to kind of kick off that and then, yeah, spending the last handful of years doing all that has been, has been awesome. I've learned a ton and seen a variety of client types, internal structures, et cetera, which, um, you know, has been great and keeps, keeps the job new and interesting every day because you're getting, you know, a new mix of people or or styles. Love it. And what's super cool about your, your career is like you started, uh, really sort of niching down in all things social and digital and you really understood oh hey you know this is how to make facebook campaigns work for graduate student recruitment and oh hey this is you know this is what does work and doesn't work when it comes to twitter ads and and then from there sort of you you grew from a specialist role into much more of like a marketing generalist role and uh one of the things that i've always been impressed you know um with in how you think shane is like shane for for our listeners when he like gets excited about something, he goes like really, really deep on it. And you know, you, you we've had people in like specialized roles, and uh, you know, uh, who think that they know everything about SEO, and then Shane will spend a couple days like in a SEO deep dive, and then come back and say everything that we've been doing is is wrong, and here's why. So he's uh, certainly sort of a, a marketing brain worth listening to and, and tapping into. Um, but Shane, I, I thought it would be really fun for you to just share some stories, a uh, couple, you know, vignettes, if you will, of what it's been like to work with uh, colleges and universities, helping them recruit students over the last several years. I mean, as you just mentioned, you've worked with schools that have centralized operations where they have very, you know, little to no control over their brand. And you've also worked with schools that don't even have a marketing team, right? And and folks that mm-hmm. have like one admissions person that's also like kind of doing marketing in like their spare time. And by marketing, we mean like the occasional post on Instagram, right? Yeah. So you've, you've sort of seen the breadth and depth of what is true in higher ed marketing today, especially as it comes to organizational structures and, and quite honestly, budgets. Like I think one of the mm-hmm. most interesting things that you have been able to experience is, you know, the, the vast and and sort of like diverse uh, sets of scopes that you've been able to work with with schools where some schools might have $40,000 to uh, contribute to their marketing and admissions over the course of a year, right? And then you're dealing with other schools that have, you know, half a million, a million bucks, right, to, to play around with. And so the different strategies and tactics that you have advised your teams over the years to implement has ranged pretty dramatically depending on what the client has available in terms of resources. So what are, what are a couple stories or examples that you, that come to mind when you think of like, Oh, this is a really cool operation that was scrappy, didn't have a lot of money and we did some cool stuff versus here's somebody that had a little bit more money and could afford to you know spend resources in a number of ways. And mm-hmm. here's what we did. What, what, uh, what stories would you share with us? Yeah. Yeah. I think WVU, um, their graduate admissions office, West Virginia university, um, they're, you know, somebody we've been working with them for a very long time and they're, you know, an awesome team to work with. They're a very small team. They're a limited team in budget. Um, but they've been super flexible and have given us everything I feel like we have needed to be successful. And they bought in several years, five, six years ago, um, bought into, you know, blogging and pillar page creation, which is long form content, trying to win on SEO, 
um, and just pumping out as much, you know, as many resources as they can for a variety of programs for just general graduate admissions um, and really trying to think about the user first and building, you know, customer centric um, content. And I think that's rewarded them probably more than any of us even expected. Um, <laughs> you know, they're generating tens of thousands of organic sessions um, on a regular basis and they're getting, you know, a huge amount of leads from it where while they don't have a massive digital advertising budget at this point, I would say they probably don't even really need it um, because they're just doing so well organically. And that's something, you know, they got in at the right time. It's like investing in a stock in the early days. Like if you get in great, if you missed the Apple wave by now or the Tesla wave by now, um, you know, it's almost too late to jump in, but there's still opportunity out there. And I think they're kind of, they embody what we kind of preach and, and our motto at, at DD Agency is we help David's beat Goliath. And I think they are a true David, both in resources allocated to them on their side um, and with their budget. And they've, you know, been able to outcompete with a lot of other universities who have much larger budgets, have, you know, maybe better faculty or staff, whatever it might be, even just more resources internally. And that's been an awesome story. And we've talked to, we were talking a little bit about this before we went live and you were mentioning that, you know, really they, their organic content strategy has really primarily been like blog based and really over the past several years, just consistently and regularly blogging around terms and topics that the institution has a strategic, a strategic interest in like growing in. Uh, are there any like, like takeaways, like when you think about the WVU story and you think about, okay, for let's say there's an organization, an institution now who has similar, you know, resources, they don't have tons of, of money to dedicate to just marketing grad holistically or generally like, like, um, the office of graduate admissions and recruitment at WVU has, what are, are, are there a couple like quick little pieces of advice that you'd give them in light of what we, what you've learned by working with WVU over the last few years? Yeah, I, I think it's more about finding um, a niche in which you can be very specific and deep. Um, you know, WVU's graduate admission office, they cover so many programs. It's almost unfair in that, you know, they can write about literally anything and, <laughs> and not even look at their programs and they probably have a program about it. Um, and I think for some smaller schools, you know, finding the, the program that maybe that needs help and thinking, okay, great, what are those people searching what are they looking for maybe it's not even about grad school and i think that sometimes the tendency is to focus specifically on grad school specific keywords um, rather than things like career growth and trajectory or salary um, and really addressing people's problems first and again thinking like what's going to be most helpful for this person um, over the course of their career you don't want students coming to your university who feel like they got duped into it at the end and so i think by solving problems first being niche um, and truly trying to provide helpful and thoughtful content. Um, you know, your university, whether, whether you're one program or a hundred, um, you know, can really do right by your students. And, and I think you'll get rewarded from an enrollment standpoint. I'm curious because you've worked with a number of institutions, again, who've had varying budgets, who've represented varying uh, quantities of programs, uh, undergrad shops all the way to, you know, a very specific, very niche, you know, school of social work program. And I think one of the questions we get a lot from folks is when you do have a limited budget, especially as it pertains to content, content creation, uh, really just any sort of like SEO work too, is it better to go deep on one or two topics or do your best at trying to 
hit a little bit of everything in hopes that, hey, maybe even if, you know, we, we focus content around a little bit more of a long tail keyword sort of frame, is, is it better to go wide or deep? I'm sure it depends, but like, what are, what are your thoughts having seen so many different examples of how schools do content mm-hmm. and how schools try and impact and increase their SEO, especially from right, uh, non-branded keywords, what, what are your recommendations or, or what are, how should we think about whether or not to go deep or wide? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I think going deep is always better. And I actually think it's easier. Um, I think, you know, really getting intentional about, um, a specific program or even a school, like if you're a school of business, for example, you have a lot of, you know, variety within that, but business topics are, are generally, um, pretty similar. And so going really deep, I think allows you to rank for a variety of keywords all centered around a program um, or set of similar programs. And then what that also allows you to do is splice that content into other things. So if you're creating a you know, 4,000 word pillar page, for example, um, I think that allows you to make a minimum of three to four blog posts that should serve as awesome. I mean, there should be some stuff that you can tease out there and make into social post copy into you know smaller infographics. And I think a lot of people, um, they think the huge project's done and they sit back and wait. Uh, and I think, you know, you're sitting on a gold mine. It's just how you use it. Um, so splicing those things up and, and getting scrappy with how you do it. I think there's also a tendency to, to, to make everything perfect um, because it's representing the brand. Um, but I think in many ways, you know, there are so many simple ways to just even make basic graphics, use Canva, go on Fiverr and pay five bucks for somebody <laughs> who, you know, is a super talented designer who can just do it at scale and, and, and get an infographic up or, um, again, splicing that content into, you know, even your workflows and your conflows, um, I think could do you a lot of good. And so I think going deep is always the way to go. And then just moving from priority to priority after you've gone deep on a topic. Do you think when you think about developing and executing a great content strategy? Like what are your go-to tools or like where, where do you, where do you start? Do you start with a particular software? Do you use Google keyword planner? Like what are your preferred tools to assist you in developing like a 12 month content strategy? Yeah. Yeah. We started out using, um, the keyword planner for, from Google, um, because it was free and it was more of like, okay, let's, you know, dip our toes in before we dive all the way in pay for a platform and really try and learn it because there there are some very sophisticated platforms out there. Um, And the keyword planners is great. I think if you're just starting out in content creation or really in in SEO, that's a great place to start to really, again, get your feet wet, understand some of the the terminology that comes with SEO as well, I think is super important. Um, And then as you graduate to you know, a little bit higher of a level, investing in platforms like SEMrush or Moz, you know, I think are two very popular ones that um, are pretty commonly used and also are simple enough to really understand where they have a a large suite of tools, but you really only need a few of them in order to have an impact. Um, And so going in there and using their content templates and using their, you know, organic research tool to understand what you're ranking for, where you're ranking, where your competitors are ranking. Um, And there's some, there's some pretty awesome tools in there that'll give you insight that I think many people ask those questions and the, the common response is like, well, how can we know that? Yeah. Um, yeah. and I think that there is a way to know that. And it's just, you, you got to find the right tools that, that work for you and, and your university. One of the questions that folks wrestle with, especially those working in a Marcom office and especially those who don't have much, if any relationship with the admissions team 
is a lot of Marcom's job is to go find really cool, compelling stories of students and then tell those stories. And sometimes storytelling, right, can seem to sort of be at odds with like really intentional content that is developed specifically to help a school rank better for a particular keyword or set of keywords. Do you have any sort of like examples or thoughts on how schools can do a better job at like marrying the storytelling component while also trying to help that particular blog rank for a niche, you know, program specific keyword. Any, any thoughts or stories or examples on that? Yeah. I think one of the really cool ways that I've seen a couple of universities do this is they kind of walk through their program and why you should attend from a theoretical and outcome standpoint, and then also walk through very specifics of here's what the program is. Here's the type of things you'll be doing in the program. You'll get exposure to X, Y, and Z things. And they're pairing each of those sections with a quick student example of mm-hmm. somebody who's done that, um, who's gone to the school, who's, you know, ideally you're slapping their headshot on there so that you're, again, you're building that connectivity with prospects. Um, and I think the schools that have done that really well have definitely reaped the benefits. I think that's a super cool way to, you know, schools can tout all day long certain things and, um, not that prospects don't believe them, but it's one thing to read. We're the number X program in the country. Like that I think is losing its meaning a little bit. And students yeah. want to see somebody who is like them, who has a similar path, education path, life path, um, be able to accomplish really cool things that maybe that even two years ago they didn't think were possible. And, and seeing somebody else that can do that type of thing, I think is inspiring. And if they're seeing them do it at this university, um, you know, there's little reason to doubt that they could do it as well. Love it. Really, really good uh, thoughts there. So we talked a little bit about WVU and them being this like super cool, interesting example of an operation that has done really, really well at developing solid content strategies and really just playing the long game as it pertains to SEO. And they're really reaping uh, a lot of the benefits from the years of work that they've poured into content creation. What are what other examples come to mind when you think about schools that are doing cool things when it comes to marketing and student recruitment and or schools that just come to mind based off of, you know, that, that you've worked with that have cool operations set up and or are just acting a little bit differently, maybe than sort of the run of the mill admission shop? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think the first that comes to mind is University of San Diego's School of Business. Um, they've kind of made a lot of shifts internally, even from a job title standpoint. Um, they're really treating, you know, their Marcom and admissions team as one mega marketing and sales team, Mm. um, in a little bit more of the traditional sense. And, you know, they're aggressively going after students who are entering their pipeline at a certain level and, you know, setting up calls and and really pushing the one-on-one communication, trying to get people to, to campus. And they're really treating it, um, as if you're buying a product. And I think that's the best way to think about it. Um, because people are making, you know, a massive investment. There's just yeah. tens of thousands of dollars we're talking about. And I feel like for some school, I've filled out inquiry forms for schools across the nation and the level of communication that you get from some is, is pretty, uh, short. Um, and I think, you know, I get more follow up when I'm buying a, a $10 thing from Amazon than I do from the school <laughs> when I'm spending tens of thousands of dollars. And, and, and I think they're one that they've kind of shaken up the model. They're treating each person as, you know, okay, this is X thousand dollars that could, you know, be in our pocket. Yeah. Um, and this is another student that would thrive here and they're not trying to force people into the program, but they're aggressively pursuing each person and, and really helping them weigh their options and determine if this is the right fit for them. And if, um, I think if more schools took that approach, I think it's a level of healthy competition that 
right now, I think they're setting their, themselves as, as the gold standard when it comes to engagement with prospects um, and really pushing them through the funnel. A little speaking a little bit more like tactically tactically here, like is it uh, a lot of email is it a lot of text? Are they doing video? Like what what do you know about sort of how they're nurturing these prospects to the point of becoming enrolled students? Yeah, yeah, they've they've evolved in a in a pretty quick time period. They've developed a lot of content for their programs um, that typically serve as the lead in and they're a little bit more career and industry focused, um, trying to get people in at a, at a very high level who might be interested in some type of business degree. Um, and then from there, they have a pretty sophisticated um, email communication flow that really looks to push people through to what they've deemed as, you know, kind of the next step in the process, um, while also giving people the flexibility to jump ahead or back as they wish. So while they might be pushing, you know, scheduling a one-on-one -on -one call for somebody who's a little bit more down the funnel, there's also opportunities there to read blog content or go back and read other additional eBooks. Um, and then once they're setting up those one-on-one -on -one calls, um, they do a great job, I think, of expressing, you know, their UVPs and really going through why this would be a great, you know, spot for them. They're applying, they're getting even more email communication, kind of continuously communicating with that person because, too, it's a long process. If somebody comes in right kind of at the beginning of the year right and you have all you have eight nine months where you're still like making sure that they're interested in school business and even if they've already applied you have to keep that person almost entertained because they've probably applied other places and, and they do an awesome job of of continuously engaging with prospects even engaging with applicants to, i think stay at the forefront of their mind and, and continue to show value to those students what i love about you know what <clears throat> what you've shared with me about their operation is that I feel like the temptation for so many people that work in admissions marketing and higher ed is once you've sort of built the Comflow, it kind of just sits mm -hmm. there for at least, you know, six months to a year until sort of the, you know, it, it becomes clear that it's just so outdated that it needs to be revised. And it sounds like, you know, they are constantly almost like uh, obsessively thinking about, all right, email number three for this particular student segment. How is it performing? Why is it performing, you know, worse than email number four? Oh, do we need to change the subject line? Do we need to, you know, throw, out a new, throw in sort of a new graphic as the header, et cetera? And the way that they think about each communication, each touch point in mm -hmm. sort of a student's journey to enrollment, I feel like they obsess over it in an incredibly positive way. And again, when it comes to marketing, any marketer knows that sometimes you just have no freaking idea why <laughs> email number yeah. three just performs better than email number two or whatever it is, right? But I think like the the big takeaway here is they refuse to set it and forget it. And mm -hmm. I think the temptation for, for lots of really good reasons, people are overwhelmed, they're overworked, they've got way too much on the plate, yada, yada. They might be working with a vendor, the vendor has more control than they do, whatever. But at the end of the day, marketing especially higher ed marketing in today's day and age, day and age is not like it cannot be set it and forget it right yeah. like it's got to be this continual adaptive we need to be obsessing over every touch point making sure that we understand it at the very least why something's performing the way that it does mm -hmm. and it sounds like they've like developed a pretty robust system to to help hold them accountable to that sort of level of critique over marketing touch points. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's just refusing to be complacent. Um, I think there's a lot of schools who, who might do some really cool things and think, okay, we, we spent an absurd amount of money on this video and we got this video done and now we're doing video. It's like, well, you did one that's different than <laughs> doing video. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. And I, I think what's really cool too, going back to the school business is 
they're continuing to implement new things and because they want to test everything and they want to figure out what works best. And I understand not everybody has that luxury, but there are still microcosms of, of the same thing. Um, and they're looking into texting and how do they get, you know, mass communication texts for starters um, to announce events, to announce app deadlines um, and providing those personalized to the program. And then, um, you know, in the future, really exploring how they can implement one-on-one texting or video texting. Um, and I think that lack of complacency is why they'll continue to see growth and they'll really, they'll be doing all the things all the time. And I think that's important. And again, those, those touch points, cause you never know what's going to be the factor why somebody decides to go to a certain school. I think people make decisions based on things that maybe you don't fully understand, but if you're doing all the things, you're giving yourself the best chance and opportunity to, you know, get that applicant and then hopefully, you know, turn them into an enrolled student. One well, thing, you know, it's just worth mentioning to you that they're in a highly competitive market mm-hmm. too, right? And I mean, there are an incredible number of excellent California schools, yes. right? And so while University of San Diego's campus is freaking beautiful and feels like Disneyland, and if you haven't <laughs> been there, you should totally go there, that in and of itself, right, um, is is not their sole advantage. And I think when you're in, especially when you're in a highly competitive market, and you're the smaller, you know, fish in the pond, mm-hmm. you have to work extra hard to ensure that there is something unique and different and special about the way that you're being nurtured by this institution than by all the other great options out there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very easy for schools to look at the um, thing, the asset, the UVP that another school has that they don't have. Um, but I think each school is facing their own unique challenges. And, I, you know, I think it's easy for somebody else to look at school business and, and USD as a whole and think, oh, beautiful campus. Um, it must be so easy to get students when you have a campus like that. Well, they have their own challenges, yeah, right? And yeah. they're in San Diego and they are in California and the com- competition's high. And when competition's high, the price is a little higher. And now that things are moving online, like they have their own complications with you know how the world's evolving. And, and I think um, you know everybody is facing their own challenges and has their own Goliaths that they're trying to defeat. Um, and I think in many ways, it's, it's easy to look at a school like them and think, oh, they're so big or even um, much larger institutions, brand names and think, oh, they probably have it so easy. They probably barely spend any money on recruiting. And I think everybody's learning now that like students no longer care as much as they used to about brand name. And it's really about where am I going to get the most value? Where am I going to interact with faculty that know their stuff and are going to teach me things and set me up to have an awesome career to make the kind of money I want to make and, you know, enjoy the atmosphere of, of learning at the same time. I couldn't agree more. Um, we've talked a lot about, <clears throat> gosh, I got a frog in my throat. I hope it's not COVID. Just kidding. Um, so we've talked a lot about friction in the student experience. And I think one of the things that often gets overlooked, I feel like friction has just become such a buzzword mm-hmm. um, in marketing. And I almost like cringe every time I say it, but I... <laughs> But it's helpful. It's a it's a helpful uh, reference point, at least. But we talk a lot about sort of in the nurturing process, especially before you know pre app, that there's this constant battle between all right, how do we generate as much information as possible around these interested prospects in a way that isn't cumbersome, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the challenges in higher ed is thinking how much should we be using forms? How many forms, how many fields can we use within the yeah. context of a form when generating information? And so you were talking to me a little bit about some cool things that Vanderbilt is doing mm-hmm. to try and, again, still capture 
important information about prospects and leveraging systems and tools to better understand the digital footprint of these prospects that don't involve right filling out multiple forms so Mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about that case study and what's been interesting to you about what vanderbilt's doing yeah yeah they're they're just getting this off the ground now but it's i think something i haven't seen any other university do Um, but they're kind of building a gated resource page in a sense that gives you access you fill out one form um, first name last name email program of interest um, and you get access to all of the content that they've created so their videos, their eBooks, um, their blog content, really everything that they have to offer. Um, and I think what's super cool about that is you've captured somebody's name. There's no reason for them to fill out another form to get another thing. Yeah. Um, they've, they've given you what they need to give you. And while you could certainly collect more information on them, um, I think sometimes the tendency is, and, and this is probably true for everybody's inquiry form let's rewind five years maybe even 10 years um where you have you know 20 questions on an inquiry (laughs) form and it seems like okay i you know need to carve out some of my day in order to get this done um is a little bit too too much um and so i think the approach of give us your information once and then we'll give you access to everything you could potentially need before you decide to you know start your application here um and i think what's super cool too about that model is you're getting people in in just a human psychology way of like cool i fill out one thing and i get all the things i don't need to worry about oh i'm gonna be clicking around and i'm gonna read something and then they're gonna be like well download our this download that um and i think that just makes it way it's like a small burden taken off the plate of a of a prospect knowing that like okay anytime they launch something new i'm just gonna get it i'm not gonna have to fill out another form i'm not gonna have to right and i think it's a one-time commitment of Okay, everybody knows once you put your email in there, you put your phone number in there, you're going to get a call, you're going to get an email. <laughs> um, that's just the way the world works. But they're providing truly valuable information as well that even exists outside of that from a blog content standpoint um, that I think justifies, okay, give us your email once, we'll send you cool stuff and, and they'll know that this is worth their time. Well, and just to piggyback on that too, I feel like marketing attribution platforms have become so incredibly detailed with respect to the information that they can serve up on an individual prospect. And so I feel like people that still use forms, especially long, longer forms, Mm -hmm. once a contact is known, that's just an excuse because you haven't done the work of setting up good lead scoring or you don't have a, a good understanding of how to conjure up or, or query similar, uh, insights to help better understand what Shane is interested in Mm -hmm. versus what Zach is interested in. Like if you're using any of the, you know, very good marketing attribution tools that are out there right now, you, once you capture that, you know, email address and, and first name, right. Just so you can personalize the communication a little bit more. There really isn't a need to have too many additional fields. Um, and, and quite frankly, once you own that contact, once you own their email address, like you don't need to send them to another form. You just need to do a better job of figuring out how to better understand what their digital footprint on your website looks like Mm -hmm. and ensure that you've got the right systems and processes in place to be able to understand, okay, there's a strong likelihood that Shane is interested in this program. And based off of his activity over the past month, I think he is a strong candidate for an outreach by admissions counselor, Sarah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that's the way that, you know, things are moving, but that's also just here. Like, this is, this is not a future reality. Yeah. All this stuff is possible now. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the super cool thing, and that was as I was pitching this um, to Vanderbilt, I think one of their main concerns and, and because this is kind of how we pitched it to them when we were first making eBooks is you'll know who's downloading each of these eBooks. Um, and you know, we can see that on the back end and, and give you those exact names of people who've, who've downloaded this content. Um, and they love that and they didn't want to miss out on that. And then, um, so their first question is like, well, now we're going to lose that. Right. And, <laughs> and we're not going to be able to see who's downloading each content. And while yes, it's true, they won't have to go through a form to access that thing and it won't be as explicit. Um, if somebody downloads or goes through the original form, we can now see everything they do using you know, yeah. our sophisticated platform. And so we're able to see when somebody clicks to view X ebook, um, you know, we're able to see that and that comes in the same way that is if they were to download it another time, but it's way easier for the user. Um, and I think that's just more of a holistic change that's coming is how do you make things easier for the user without sacrificing data and, and quality of information coming into you? Yeah. Um, and I think this is a, a really cool, fun way to, you know, kind of serve both needs from the prospect end of only filling out one form and from, you know, Vanderbilt's end of still being able to see all the same data and get insights into what their students are doing, reading, clicking around on their website, um, you know, at various stages of the funnel and how they can kind of turn that into a sense of baselines to give them, you know, something to work off of for years to come. Love it. All right, Shane, I've just got two final questions for you. One is just around when you think about Enrollify and what you're hoping over the next year to do here in particular, like what excites you the most? Yeah, I, I think I love coming into a place that where there's a lot of opportunity. Um, and I think Enrollify is, is a budding um, company that can very easily kind of capitalize on a lot of the things that maybe other traditional services vendors or others aren't, aren't too worried about tackling um, because they have a specific niche where I think Enrollify can kind of be all things to many people. Um, and I think that's super exciting. And I think being able to diversify the content types, as you were talking about at the beginning of the show, um, provide people the video that like video, provide people, you know, in-depth resources that like in-depth yeah. resources and, and not trying to limit people to what's easiest for you to create. Um, so I'm super excited to take a lot of the existing content, turn it into a video format, um, make a lot more, you know, graphical content, um, in forms of, you know, infographics, quick social graphics that are easily consumable. Um, and then really working with, um, you know, a lot of really cool, interesting people that know things that I don't, um, which is something I always love doing. And I think, you know, from the Enroll Fight team that I've met so far, um, everybody has their specialization and a thing and they really know it. Um, and so even just personally, um, and professionally very excited to kind of broaden my horizons and understand more. And I think the more, we can all be on the same page, the, the better we can serve, you know, the greater community in, in higher ed and, and get people, um, you know, doing cool stuff across the board and making that the standard. Fantastic. Well, we're pumped to watch you do that and to work with you and, and make that happen. Last question. So if you're, you were a higher ed marketer, uh, right now, let's say you have decent control, you're a director, you're not a VP, you're not a president, uh, you don't control the purse strings, but you do have influence. And if you were to have to spend money, let's say a $100,000 budget, right? And you can only spend that $100,000 budget in two or three channels over the next year. And channels I'm using pretty loosely, right? Like take that to mean either a specific social channel or social, uh, paid social could be a channel. Um, what, how do you spend that money? Like where do you think people 
if you're and, and let's actually drill down this a little bit further let's say you're you're trying to recruit for a grad school and you're trying you're responsible let's use the wvu example right mm -hmm. but maybe niche it down a little bit so let's say you're responsible for recruiting for 10 graduate programs, you've got $100,000 and you've been asked to develop a strategic marketing plan to help increase enrollment. What's your plan? What do you think people should do? Where should folks spend their money? Yeah, yeah, I, I really do think going back to the WV example of, of generating content that's gonna be helpful for prospects. Um, and I think, cause that's the easiest way to get them in the door and that's their first touch point, um, even potentially with a grad school in general. So if you're you know, creating a quick, resource doesn't even need to be that long but it just needs to be helpful of you know here's what this program is here's how it can help you you know either change careers or you know improve in your current position um, or increase your salary um, and here's what this does to help out and then bidding on those types of keywords on search and again because i think the people that are looking up things like i want to make more money as a blah um, they're not necessarily looking for a grad school, but yeah, I think if yeah. you can, if you can get in front of them early on in their journey, and then they might start thinking like, oh, okay, you know, grad school might be, might be a good option for me. Um, they're going to remember who you are. You're the people that kind of convince them that grad school might be a good idea. And so I think getting those people on earlier on, while if you need help ASAP and you're trying to get applicants tomorrow, that might not be the move for you. I think you need to go out and, you know, blast out a bunch of Facebook ads and, and, Google retargeting ads and try and get some people in the door tomorrow. Um, but if you have a little bit of time to play with building that even quick content, um, bidding on those top funnel keywords that are also going to be much cheaper than the, you know, business programs in Southern California. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know off the top of my head. I bet that's in the tens of twenties of dollars per click. Um, it is a tough way to go and you're going to burn through your budget in no time and you're not going to get any quality of leads either. Um, so I think really creating that top funnel content, bidding on those keywords and providing people the opportunities then to follow up with you. Um, and then it's just on you to not drop the ball when they raise their hand and say, I'm interested. If you don't have a comm plan that's sophisticated set up, if you're not calling people that are giving you their phone number, if you're not giving them the option to set up a meeting, whatever, come to campus, um, that's on you. You can spend a million dollars, but if, if you don't have the follow through, uh, you're going to miss out. Fantastic. Well, sir, thank you for your time. We're excited to have you here and very eager to watch you create some pretty epic shit. So yeah. it's going to be Looking a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Um, thanks for tuning in, folks. And I have included Shane's social handles below so you can follow him on LinkedIn, on Twitter, and probably not on Instagram because I don't think he's that active there. No. Yeah. <laughs> I think you have like, I think he has like three Instagram posts. <laughs> so. um, but thanks, folks, for tuning in and we'll see you next week. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to, digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.